What's this? What's this? It's super califragilistic, expialidocious. What is this? A whole new world. What is this? Hi, welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. This is another review episode. I am Ryan, your host, and today we will be talking about keeping up with the Joneses. After my first review episode regarding American Honey, and I had quite a positive response to that movie, I wanted to make sure that my second review was for a film that I had a more negative response to, not to give away everything up front, but just to uh, give the listeners uh, an idea of the contrast between the two as far as my approach to reviewing movies goes. I am going to do my best to actually keep this as brief as I intended to before, and... We will see how it goes. Uh, I went and saw Keeping Up With The Joneses this past night at 9.15. And the first, the first thing to note is that it employs the technique of opening on a scene and flashing back, which very, very rarely is ever effective. Uh, you know, they, they tried something in this movie where they use Zach Galifianakis, who, um, he is monologuing over the scene. He's not in the scene and he's narrating to us just how peachy perfect his life is and how this suburb cul-de-sac that he lives on is so wonderful and it's the best place to be ever. It's his happy place, as he puts it. And cut to one of the houses in this cul-de-sac blowing up. We don't know which house it is. Uh, I think they're implying that it is his house. And that is the assumption I went in with. And whether or not that is the exact house that actually is blown up, it, it's one, difficult to tell as the movie progresses because so many of the houses look the same. And so from the very beginning, the movie has this kind of overcast, glossy, mm, unappealingness to it until... The Joneses, Gal Gadot, and John Hamm are introduced. And then all of a sudden, you know, we get away from everything being contextualized through Galifianakis and Isla Fisher, who are perfectly attractive in their own rights, but definitely played up to be a lot more frumpy in this movie in the beginning. And the first, and like what you get is. You know, people have compared this to, like, Mr. and Mrs. Smith from the point of view of their neighbors. It's not exactly that, uh, you know, especially considering how the Joneses actually know each other and actually know what they do and have actually done this for their whole lives knowing exactly what they do. You know, they didn't meet 
doing this hide it from each other and have it come up X amount of years later. And the plot does add a couple of wrinkles into their relationship. Uh, there are things that one of the characters is not telling the other, and it comes to light two-thirds of the way into the movie. And that's nice, I guess. Um, you know, Zach Galifianakis in this movie is thin. He was noticeably a lot thinner than he was in just recently in Masterminds and in the previous films before that. Uh, and it doesn't, you know, people say that, you know, you know, pointing it to someone like him, someone like Seth Rogen, someone like um, a lot of other comedians that lose weight and then also lose their funniness. I don't think that's the case. I think the problem here, it's not that he's not funny because he's skinny. It's that he's not funny because he's playing the wrong kind of character, in my opinion. And if you look at what I think to be his perfect character, which he plays in The Hangover, at least the first one, and then it becomes more of a tired out uh, caricature afterwards. But the reason that he's so good in The Hangover is not because he's out of touch with the rest of the story, even though he is. It's it's that, you know, unlike in this movie, where he just is trying to avoid every situation, it's, it's that he doesn't try to avoid every situation. It's that he fully commits the opposite direction. And you get a very similar result, but it comes across so much better. So, for example, in the, in the first Hangover, you have uh, a scene where, you know, they've just woken up after their night of debauchery, and Brad Coop, Bradley Cooper has to tell Zach Galifianakis' character like two or three times to put on his pants, and that he shouldn't. And the same exact situation happens in this movie toward the end of the movie, where John Hamm has to tell Zach Galifianakis to put on pants twice. In The Hangover, this scene is funny because Galifianakis' character, it isn't that he's avoiding put on, putting on pants. It's that he doesn't even realize that he should be putting on pants. And you can tell that just the way he acts and the way he is, you know. Whereas in Keeping Up With The Joneses, this exact same scene is not funny. I don't know if it's even supposed to be funny. But it isn't because he's just... Because the first time that John Hamm mentions it, he responds with like, oh, yeah, you know, I know I'm supposed to, but I was like waiting for whatever, such and such. He makes up a reason. And then, you know, he tells him a second time. And the audience isn't aware that he wasn't wearing pants during this part of the scene. But Galifianakis' character knew, and he doesn't act like it's a surprise that he wasn't, if that makes any sense. Maybe that doesn't make any sense. I guess I guess I just... it's he, His character's better when he's playing someone who doesn't know that the things that they're doing are ridiculous, I think. And this character knows what he's doing is ridiculous. And that's what makes it less enjoyable to watch. 
Isla Fisher, on the other hand, I thought was pretty good. I liked her character in this. She was suitably crazy and a little manic and um, just enough kind of like tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist to pull off the idea that maybe their neighbors are up to something. I wish that it had been a little more established before it started. You know, there are plenty of moments going forward into the movie where it references something from before that would have helped if we'd known this before. So, for example, the people who lived in their house, in the Joneses' house prior, uh, never changed their garage door alarm code alarm thing, remote, and she still had a, one of them for some reason. And it's interesting that she kept it, but that would have been nice to know before she was like knee-deep in trying to scope out this other house. You know, it doesn't do any good other than to service how they get into their house because you don't realize at the time just how kind of crazy she is. And I think that that would have helped. And then as far as John Hamm and Gal Gadot go, you know, I... Gal Gadot is so tall. She is so tall. And she and John Hamm are gorgeous together. And I think that they have some level of, uh, you know, compatibility. But he's a better actor than she is, or at least he's written better than she is. And it kind of makes me nervous. I think Gal Gadot is out of place in this movie. I don't think she fits in with the rest of the cast. Um, especially as a comedic actor. She, you know, what we all liked about her in Batman v Superman was, besides the fact that she's Wonder Woman, is just that she presents herself perfectly in that kind of a role. And during the action moments of this movie, or any of the times where she has to act, quote, tough, she pulls it off really well, especially in her look. She looks every bit the part. But she doesn't act comedic for the movie. So if there were this were just a straight action movie, then maybe she would have maybe it would have been better for her, suited for her. But her comedic chops are just not there. And so depending on the level of humor in Wonder Woman, I would like her to be quote the straight woman of the ensemble. And because I think I don't really think that she can pull off quippy. So that was something that we hadn't really seen in Batman v Superman because she didn't really have any lines. So that was interesting. And there are a few um, cameos that happen in the movie, uh, particularly the ultimate villain and antagonist, which was surprising and then unexciting because it was just another white person. Um, so, you know, it was the, the problem with the movie overall is that, you know, it, it's just, it, you go in, you know what the plot is. You can probably pick, pick out, you know, the five big moments that are going to happen in the movie. And then it just happens exactly like you think it's going to happen. 
It doesn't really deviate from anything. You know, when the house does finally blow up, whoever's house it was, you don't expect anyone to be dead because it's not that kind of a movie. But I think that it probably should have been. It would have been much more interesting to see things progress with a pair of the characters having died. It would have been a lot tougher, for sure. But if it, I think that would have served the movie well. So ultimately, pretty low on this movie. Didn't, you know, Isla Fisher is probably the best part of it. And John Hamm is second. But nothing really sticks out as a positive overall. And that's the problem. You know, it's just another comedy that doesn't go anywhere. So, I, so my ultimate rating for this one, um, let me see here. I'm going to give it half a star, which puts it in the 0 to 19 range out of 100 for me. And just a few days ago, I went and saw Jack Reacher Never Go Back. That at least had some decent action in it, whereas this doesn't really have any good action in it. Um, you know, because all the action scenes, you're just watching Galifianakis and Isla Fisher cower. You don't actually watch the action. So I'm going to have to put this below that. And right now I'm looking at an 11 for Keeping Up With The Joneses. To compare that to Mr. and Mrs. Smith, uh, which I gave a 46, which is still not a good movie, but it's at least fun and enjoyable for what it is. And, you know, I've seen that movie quite a few times, and it is so much better than Keeping Up with the Joneses. Uh, so I think. Galifianakis has definitely, between this and Masterminds, not had a good month, not had a good year. So that's that's how I feel. And I wanted to say that these review episodes, they're not meant to persuade or dissuade you from going to see a movie, whether it's at the theater, whether it's at home, or any other place where you would see a movie. Is you know, it just it's just what I feel about the movie and I'm still kind of working out the kinks on the spoiler nature of the reviews because part of it is because it's not really me trying to pump you up for the movie or give you a preview of the movie because I've seen the movie you know I'm not going to talk about it if it's if it's already out and I'm right and I'm talking about it I've seen it if I'm talking about it and it's not out, then obviously I haven't seen it. And since, so I don't know what that meant. <laughs> maybe, maybe you do, but the, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think that I'm going to kind of disregard the idea of spoilers going forward because I know for myself, when I'm listening to movie reviews on 
podcasts, I will just ignore the ones completely that have to do with a movie that I haven't seen yet, uh, unless it's a movie that I have no interest in seeing. Because either A, the review is positive, and then that won't change the fact that I still want to see it, or B, the movie is negative, and then maybe I won't want to see it. And for me, I'd rather just go experience the movie for myself, then listen to the review afterwards and see if someone has a different opinion than I did on the movie. You know, I'll, I'll listen to someone talk about Jack Reacher, and maybe they'll have a positive review for it. And then I'll wonder, hmm, maybe there's more to it than I thought, and I'll listen to the review. They'll present you know, some of the points, and if I, maybe I'll see some of the reasons, and maybe there's some things I missed that somebody else caught, and that's more interesting to me than, you know, well, the acting was good, I like this movie, you know, you should go out and see it. Because that also doesn't really tell you a lot. And I realized that in this specific episode, I kind of did that a little bit. Um, you know, I kind of hided, hid, uh, hided, I kind of hid some plot details, even though they're probably pretty obvious if you're, while you're watching the movie. I guess, I guess what I'll say is, I'm, I'm not going to go out of my way to hide spoilers for movies that are out, but I will try to avoid, mm, I guess, like, final five, ten minute twists, you know? So, like, if I'm watching The Sixth Sense, I'm not going to say he was dead the whole time if The Sixth Sense had come out, you know, yesterday. But The Sixth Sense came out 15 years ago or so. So I will, I don't feel bad saying he was dead the whole time because the first time I watched Sixth Sense was this year and I've known for a long time that he was dead the whole time, which tainted my viewing of the film for sure, but I should have seen it before. So I don't know. That's, I suppose if there's an overwhelming amount of people asking for spoiler-free reviews, I can definitely adhere to that, you know, like I've said, I am here for you guys, and what you want, I will do my best to give, but for the time being, uh, go into a review, one of my review episodes, presuming that I am going to give away many of the plot details if I deem them necessary to talk about. So it is wise to have seen the movie beforehand. Um, fact, I guess I could do like, yeah, if it's a review episode, plot details. If it's a preview episode, maybe I'll do preview episodes too. And like jam like a dozen movies together and just do really quick previews. If it's a preview episode, I won't even know any of the plot details to spoil them. So that might be where this is headed. Okay. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, this is the Circle of Film podcast. I'm your host, Ryan. Find us at, find me at Letterboxd, uh, username Stranger, S-T-R-A-N-G-A-H, or circleoffilm.com. Thank you for listening, and have a week.